0: hello everybody and welcome to episode 154 of the stacy west podcast i am ben gaz is with me as always how you getting on i'm absolutely bloody delighted mate this week absolutely yeah i i uh very much in the same boat it's been yeah it's not been a bad week at all that's it
2: it's been I don't know what it is it's just we've recorded now nearly every week since the beginning of the season and, and it's not hard is it to to remain positive we, we remain object objective but when the microphone goes off and then, and i close the laptop down and you're left thinking about it and other fans i'm sure will identify with this as well no matter how positive you try to be if you're a fair fan, if you're somebody who kind of you know, sees things as they are and, and, and processes that in the correct way, you know, you're not just like my gyms are going up when you're six nil down at half time. If you're you know, a, a reason balanced fan, there's got to have been a moment of fear, especially when we did drop into the bottom four, even mm. though it meant nothing because we didn't play and therefore it was you know it's out of our control. You know, you'd wake up in the morning, and think shit, we're not going away to Barrow, are we next season? And you know that that in the space of a week and we're not out of the woods and and you know like i said one swallow doesn't make a summer or not even a great night out to be fair but um (laughs) the point is wake up in the morning now and i'm just thinking do you know what we're not looking down we're not looking down and that is just such a nice feeling
0: absolutely and i think this is the uh i think this is the thing where you know we've had we've had a, a well, a poor a poor season, a poor run. I don't think that's, you know, nobody could claim otherwise. And I don't think we ever did. Um, I think the thing is when people, you know, say, oh, you're happy with it. I don't think anybody could say that they were happy with how things were going. I mean, even Clive said that on, yeah. you know, on Hope and Glory. So he wasn't happy with how things were on the pitch. But ultimately, I think the fact that, you know, the, there is this planning in place and, you know, obviously signings that have come in that we're going to talk about or the signing that's come in and and the attitude seems to have shifted a little bit. And the, the mentality seems to have definitely picked up quite a bit over the past week or so. And it's been a really positive week for the club. I think it's been, you know, yeah, I think you mentioned it on your dog walk, but I'd actually said this to Rach more or less straight after the Sunderland game that it, it feels like it's been on a bit of an upward turn since Cheltenham. Um, In terms of performances, I know obviously the the second half of the MK game was a write-off, but aside from that, I don't think we've we've necessarily been looking down since the Cheltenham game, Um, and obviously that started, you know, that that sort of culminated a little bit on Saturday, didn't it, against Oxford with what was a convincing tuna win that probably could, and I am sure you are about to disprove me with XG, but it felt like it should have been more.
2: Yeah, I mean, XG does disprove that, um, honestly. But just to go back to what you said previously before we go on to Oxford, because, you know, why would we follow any sort of strict <laughs> pattern? Um, you, you're quite right with the whole, I think, things I've picked up since Ted Bishop scored against Cheltenham. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think that was, I think it's almost like a pressure valve and the team suddenly thought, they've got that monkey off the back and now we can we can go forward. And, I, you know, since then, we've scored two against Cheltenham, two against MK Dons, two against Oxford, three against Sunderland. We've, we've, we've been do- getting chances that we've been putting in the back of the net. I don't think in terms of structure... And to bring this into Oxford, I don't think we've done a huge amount differently um, in, in those games. I don't think the the patterns of play are hugely different. Mm. I just think better players have made better runs. And, and look, we've actually stumbled into um, a winning formation mm. because Regan Pool has been a revelation at centre-half. Yep. but he's only been there since the Cheltenham game, since um, injury to Adam Jackson, I think against Crew, wasn't it? Am I, I? I might be wrong about that. I think I think yeah. Paul started at centre half uh, with Monksborough against Cheltenham, and and that put Bishop at right back. And that, I Bishop's yeah. not a right back, but no. he's actually. He's been excellent uh, because he gives us a kind of an attacking element and, and I'll come on to Ted Bishop in a bit. Um, so I think Regan Paul going at centre back has helped. You can't really say it's helped shore up the defence because we've conceded six goals in three games. But there's something about Regan Paul that our other centre backs um, probably haven't shown over the last six to six to 12 months. And that is, and this is a sound effect for people rather, but envisage this. That sort of challenge. Do you know what I mean? That like, bang. <laughs> Getting been, stuck in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he looks like an old school centre half. He looks like the sort of player that my dad would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, proper man. <laughs> um, also, you know, uh, against Oxford, the injury to. Um, Monsmo meant lots of reshuffling. It meant Luis Fiorini at the point of the midfield, so you know, like a, a, a double pivot, let's say, or the double fours um, in front of the back four in Magrandals and uh, Sorensen, and Fiorini was in the eight role, and that's Fiorini's natural role. Um, mm. And I know that he's been playing in the holding role, but I, yeah, I thought he looked, he was a revelation in the latter stages against Oxford. He was absolutely superb against <laughs> Sunderland as well. So we've we've stumbled upon. Um, a formation that works, and against Oxford, I think, you know we, we want to talk about that game. I think you were there, I was there. It was it was as much about the crowd reaction as it was anything. I think that went on the pitch, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And you were you were bang on when you said um, in your write up that it, it felt like when Maguire hit the post, that was again sort of another another pressure valve release. Like you could feel things starting to to g up a little bit. And it, it was filled with, you know, solid tackles. Um, again, Paul was putting himself all over the place. Conor McGrandles seemed to be back to the Conor McGrandles that we we came to love last season. And it just, the amount of solid challenges that were going in and the work rate and the, you know, without going back to Mr Cowley's, uh, you know, um, Lexicon, you was saying, you know, The the work ethic that was there, everything about that performance was just absolutely solid. Like we didn't want to let them get anywhere, and you know, that sort of refuse to lose attitude, I thought was was fantastic. Um, Like, yeah, I, I, it felt to me like we probably could have scored a couple more, um, but I don't think there's anything that we can say that that will avoid the conversation around Morgan Whitaker because. I mean if we'd have had him since the start of the season then let's be honest I don't think we'd be where we are um that's not to say that one player makes the team but he seemed to be almost a bit like that missing puzzle piece um for for the for the Oxford game obviously the return of you know Anthony Scully coming back in as well was was a great boost um but it it just gave us that option and I think the word that I used to describe Whittaker after the game was just effortless like everything that he did it just looked so easy and so natural like he just breezes past defenders and he did it again on tuesday night but you know talking about saturday like when you when he gets the ball he just looks like he he glides across the pitch and then takes two touches and takes three defenders out of the game you know just a yeah bit of a revelation to be honest on saturday and a perfect debut capped off with uh, a decent finish wasn't it
2: yeah it's one game so well yeah yeah I, I, yeah i i take your point on board and you know i i think we're talking about morgan Whitaker for oxford we're gonna we're gonna move on to Sunderland a bit we're gonna obviously talk about chris Maguire and these are the headline players we cannot take away anything from the fact that it was a collective ele- 11 performance and I, I like the word effortless about morgan Whitaker. It's, it is how he makes things look um i think it's easy to look that way When you're playing teams like Oxford and Sunderland, because although they're the bigger names and and they should be the more challenging games, they are teams that want to come at us. They are teams that we then kind of allow to come on to us. We did it against Oxford. People were talking about this masterclass at Sunderland, and you know we were, were allowing players to come on to us. But actually, well, what well, we we did the same. We we mm. we were able to sit back against Oxford, and we were able to do it last season in empty stadiums, particularly at home, particularly in the early part of the uh, the season. We let those teams have possession. We condensed the pitch, as Mark Hone correctly you know, pointed out on the on the um, on the commentary and therefore we're making centre halves play the ball rather than midfielders and if you look at Oxford on Saturday a couple of times they had a big centre half made two or three runs from, from his own 18 yard area deep into our uh, into our sort of half and people going, oh, get into him. Why are we letting him onto us like that? And what they don't realise is we're just sucking the game. And by doing that, we're creating space further up the field when we do get the ball. And counter-attacking was what we were all about this season. It was what Brennan Johnson was about. It was what Morgan Rogers was about. You know Those two players made the name that they've got to, with Lincoln fans today mm. predominantly not for unpicking the likes of Accrington and and teams like that, but for taking possession-based teams like MK Dons, for instance, um, when we beat them 4-0. And season on mistakes and season on gaps. And I think that's where we've got our strength. It's why actually Saturday's game might be a little bit tougher because Cambridge don't have to come on to us. They did it at their place. They don't have to come on to us on Saturday. So we're gonna see this kind of new look and I, I, I'm i using the, the little inverted commas things there, but no one can see it. We'll see this new look Lincoln in a, in a different light or a, a more complete light on Saturday. Um, but just going back onto Morgan Whittaker, I think, you know. He's a willing runner. He's willing. He, he links up particularly well with, with Chris Maguire. I think with Scotty coming back as well, that was very, very evident. Um, don't want to put a huge, huge amount of pressure on him. But um, I do think that with a player coming in on loan, one or two of the other loan players might have looked at it and gone, hang on. Lincoln have got the ability to, to bring in these better players and maybe up the game, maybe up the standards a little bit. So, um, yeah, it was a great debut. It's just a great day to be a Lincoln fan. And I came home from that, like, absolutely bouncing, not just because I was having a takeaway when I got home, which was poker, by the way. Um, but in terms of XG, actually, and I know people say, well, this is why XG is shit. Uh, but our XG was actually just one05 so, I, I, you know, in terms of chances created, the likelihood of them going in uh, would have given us one goal. But yeah, you know, M- that's Maguire's that hit the post was zero point zero three. So three times out of a hundred that goes into the back of the net gets people on their feet. It influences the way that the game's played, but actually it gets missed ninety seven times out of a hundred. Whereas, and Scully's goal, for instance, I think was like zero point zero two. So 98 times out of 100, people hit a shot from there and it's saved or it's blocked or it misses. Um, but you know that's not. I'm not taking anything away at all. Actually, the the, the chance that we should have scored, um, we actually came on uh, on 66 minutes. Uh, and we were already 2-0 up at that point, And it was literally uh, 0.43 XG. And it's where Scully of all comes, I think, across the, the front of the six-yard box. And Scully nods it and just can't quite get onto it. So, mm. great day to be a Lincoln fan.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think I think the the most interesting thing for me coming away from, well, sort of, as I was about to leave the ground, was seeing the fact that you'd not snuck off, bang on the full-time whistle. And we actually had a quick conversation before we left the ground.
2: Yeah, do you know what? I, 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 I when I said when talk about leaving early, you know, I've got a it's it's a thirty five mile drive home. I know I'm not the only one. I know people have got further drives home, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I want to get back. I want to get my write up done. Otherwise, it can be kind of eight, eight-ish by the time I'm settled down. So I do try and get out, you know, on the final whistle, mm. if you like, maybe a tiny little bit earlier if if the game's won or lost but there was no way I was leaving um, before i applauded the players because yeah. I thought they deserved it. Uh, make no mistake, this was a very, very good Oxford Oxford United side who, in my opinion, will be in or around um, the, uh, the the top six at the end of the season. They started with Brannigan in midfield. I know he went off injured, very good player. Mark Sykes, very good player. I mean, they've got um, they had Ryan Williams. Who's got the long head lad out wide? Absolute Rolls Royce for a footballer. Love him, Gavin White. He was four million pound when he when he left he when he left Oxford for for Cardiff once before. Um Yeah, Steve Seddon, the left back, who was at Wimbledon. I think he came to Oxford from Birmingham. These these are top League One players. Mm. So it was just nice when it, after watching us lose to Hartlepool and struggle to beat you know Bowers and Pitsy with with a guy who's built like me at centre half to <laughs> to hold in our own. But we yeah. had you know you know we, we had what four shots on target, and you go back to. um Earlier games in the season, where you, you think, for instance, Accrington Stanley, where we lost one 0 and people complain, complain, complain. We had three shots on target, so it's not a huge difference, is it? Doncaster uh, away it's that clinical shots. edge, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yes, but well, Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, I, I think it's as much confidence as clinical. Clinical yes. for me is you're a striker, ten yards out, ball falls at feet, you put it on target. That's clinical for me. Yeah. From the chance that Scully scored against Oxford, it's not it's not what I call clinical finishing it's a wonder goal and it yeah it, it's hard to put it was a clinical finish but when I say you have to be clinical with chances I don't I don't mean those about, ones yeah 22 yeah, yard yeah. curler so to a degree yes it was it, it, it was of course good finishing and a Morgan, Morgan Whitaker's that's the example of clinical finishing mm. it falls to you in the area you're on the penalty spot you've Got to put. You've got to either make the keeper work or put it in the back of the net. That was a clinical finish. So in that respect, you're right. Yeah. And but also, we've got to talk about Seb Stockbridge, haven't we?
0: I was about to say, like, we've made it this far into a conversation about a game that Seb Stockbridge refereed, and we haven't talked about him yet. Um
2: He, he got a lot of stick.
0: He did. I think. Um. I think for me, the reason that I was, I was annoyed. It was kind of at the officials in general and I think it was the moment when Chris Maguire got given offside from what was essentially a massive deflection from an Oxford player. Like the ball gets played back into our half, the Oxford player sticks his leg out, it goes towards the corner flag and Maguire runs onto it and gets given offside. Referee's fault or linesman's fault? That's the linesman's fault, but it it kind of, it just, yeah, it just increased my frustration towards the officials in general. I think he he probably should have gotten a bit more of a a hold of the game, maybe one or two yellow cards, because the only card in the game was the red card for, for Kane, wasn't
2: it? Well, I certainly think um, Conor McGrandall should have been booked yep, as, a, as a bare minimum. You know, And people are saying don't make contact. Ooh, dangerous place, dangerous play. You know, it's not only dangerous play if you hurt somebody. Yeah. Um, I Do you know what? I might have booked him for simulation for the headbutt as well because it wasn't a headbutt from Mark Sykes. I don't like to see players go down. There's a very, very thin line between shithousing and cheating. Yeah. Um, And I think once or twice over the past couple of weeks, we've been right on that line. Uh, There was a moment over on the touchline as well where, you know, one of their players has retaliated to something. He has raised his hand. He has, I think it was Maguire. He has laid his hand on Maguire mcguire's gone down everyone said it should have been a red card at the time i was up screaming effing and jeffing and was that over by the salinity yeah it's not it's not a red card at all it's embarrassing for me to look back and you get caught up in the moment i mean i think the thing that wound me up about that instance in particular was the fact that the play
0: had stopped the ball was dead and the player like made he, he went out of his way to walk over and then get involved and i thought well you know that's surely a
2: yellow. Like, yeah, I, I'm not so sure. And I, I, th- I think referees are trying very, very hard not to give red cards. And I think if you start flashing yellows about, particularly in in the first half of a game for silly things, one, you've mm-hmm. then got to be consistent. Uh, and two, you you might have to give that player another one a little later on. Mm. Uh, and and i i thought there was another yellow card i thought that what their lad got booked for deliberate handball
0: oh what when he, he when um griffiths made that save
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: uh, again i think that probably <laughs> it should have been but
2: well I, mean, I, I, I i think I, let me just double check that because i i thought he gave a yellow card for that but he didn't give a yellow card for deliberate handball from the same player in the first half no there, there, there was only one card in the game and it was the red was sure he flashed a yellow to taylor no. for that for that deliberate handball no apparently not
0: no, no. So th- that's what i mean that that should have been a yellow card but
2: I'm surprised yeah. that, that that really surprises me actually because i really thought i'm going to check another resource so i was but, absolutely super absolutely uh, convinced but
0: yeah i mean you know i think the thing is i i got I'd, i think we all got a little bit wound up At the at the time, Um, you know, probably got a bit carried away with stuff, but I I think there's a larger conversation about the quality of the officials in League One in general because Mm. it's not been great.
2: Disagree. Um, And I mean, it's not it's not been fantastic, has it? there have been decisions and the odd official. I don't think the the standard of officiating in League One and League Two now is anywhere near as bad as it was fifteen twenty years ago. No, that's fair. No, fair. Declan Bourne crew, not a penalty, poor decision. But you'll get poor decisions all the time. On the whole, I can't say that there are as, there are many referees who have completely and utterly ruined the game for both teams. There's always mm-hmm. gonna be decisions that you question. Ipswich, the push in the back, you know, we'll argue till the cows come home. But at the end of the day, Macaulay Bond put his hands on Ayoma. ayoma has gone down too easily. You know, the referees are just trying to let the game flow. And if you're if you're the one getting all the niggly fouls, you think the referee's doing a good game, and having a good performance. If you're the one on the receiving end, you think he's shit. Generally, Seb Stockbridge had a decent game. He put well, the red card was a correct decision. He mm-hmm. made he was no hesitation. Generally, I don't think that's a conversation. In my opinion, that we need to have.
0: No, that's fair. I mean, I'll be brutally honest with you. My initial thought when he flashed the red card was that he'd, he'd sent Fiorini off. Yep, same. I just thought, what's he done that for? Same. And then I, re- you know, sort of saw the Oxford players. Um, protesting it and thought, oh, OK, right, well, yeah, that's probably the right decision. And then looking back at the replays, just, yeah, awful challenge going in studs up.
2: Yep. And, and there probably is a reflection of why the referee actually wasn't that bad, because he's made the right call when half the ground, and you're not the only one, I'm the same, there was lots and lots of people who thought he'd send Fiorini off mm. at first glance. OK, the ref's closer to it, I get that. But do you know what I mean? He's made the right call when the best part of eight thousand people think he's made the other call. So yeah, I I, I don't like. I um, said Stockbridge was there was a mo- the the moment that got me. Right? And people say let it go, Gary, let it go. Was uh, it, it was in the second half or well, I think it was in the second half. And Chris Maguire has gone in to try and win a header, and their guy's gone into it with his feet. And Maguire, I think, has has collided with their player and and he's given the free kick the other way. And I maintain that the the Oxford players' feet were just as high as Billy Knotts' feet in 2017 at (laughs) Knotts County. And Stockbridge sent him off. (laughs) Genuinely, right, I, I don't think Seb Stockbridge has particularly had a bad game that's negatively affected Lincoln City since then. He sent off an Accrington player and gave us a penalty that was later rescinded. Uh, the the red card was later rescinded when we beat him 2-0, I think it was, at the bank. He sent off a Barry player when Lee Frecklinson scored the penalty when they'd been the better side in our title-winning season. He's now sent off an Oxford player um, and, and probably should have at least booked McGrandalls and hasn't done. And I still go back to Billy Knott. <laughs>
0: I mean, there's consistency and then there's doing something five years ago and trying to get the, the same result.
2: <laughs> well, it's probably the FA directives that are different. These referees go in every year and, you know, they're told to look out for different things, aren't they? Like it's high boots one year, it's let the game flow the next year. Yeah. It's, you know, whatever. Don't let them wear bloody glow. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then here's it, me going. Batman yeah. Stockbridge. <laughs>
0: There was one moment actually that, that I don't know if many people saw it, but it had me and Rach absolutely howling. Um, Maguire was uh giving it uh, giving it some to the linesman. Um I, I don't know what had happened, but he was properly giving him an earful, um, and sort of pointing and and you know, gesticulating all over the place. And as he turned round to to go back to the pitch, the Oxford player just turned to the linesman and just sort of stuck his thumb up as if to say, Yeah, you're doing all right, mate, don't worry about it. <laughs>
2: It's it's a fickle game because I know the moment you meant and about five minutes after that, the same Oxford player was in the same linesman's face over a decision that he had given the other way. And and anyone listening to this, if you have if you have five minutes, um, pause this in a second. To go to Spotify or wherever you, you get your music from, and search the referees alphabet by Half Man Half Biscuit. And, <laughs> and it, honestly, it's the A to Z of refereeing, and there's just some absolutely brilliant little one-liners in there. And whenever it's made, it's mellowed me towards referees. It has not Declan Bourne because we would have got a point against Crew had he not given that penalty that wasn't a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> but other than him. So, but yeah, it was it was a good win and yo know, we came out of that thinking, well, Sunderland's a free hit, isn't it?
0: And uh, they took advantage of it. Jesus Christ. Um I mean the the obvious, you know, the obvious talking point, um, the man that's gone viral on national media. Um you said it in the title, it was the Chris Maguire show on Tuesday night. I don't think we really I think we expected something from him. Um, I don't think we quite expected that, um, you know, I, I, as a writer from the Stacey West blog, I was asked, to, <laughs> which,
2: which I got a very passive aggressive, uh, WhatsApp message from Gary about. Well, you've uh, stolen my favorite gig. I like <laughs> writing for the Roker report. They get like thousands of views and all that sort of thing. And all of a sudden it's like Stacey West writer Ben. I'm I, I st- I searched the site for this Ben who writes for the Stacey West. (laughs) I did say that. I do the podcast. You know, I I, I never claimed. But did you say it in actual words that came out of your mouth? Or did you say it in your inner monologue while you were cackling away to yourself?
0: No, I said it in a Twitter DM. Yeah, yeah, no,
2: it was. uh, I I said, I think the quote
0: that they pulled was um, Chris McGuire's coming into his own at the minute. um, Because obviously they need to get the Sunderland aspect and the Sunderland angle in there. Um, I don't think anybody quite saw what was going to happen on Tuesday night, did they? What a performance from pretty much every single player.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Cool. No, yeah, yeah. I, I assume the pause was for me to come in. I mean, I, I I titled my article The Chris Maguire Show almost with a hint of irony mm. um, because it was all about Chris Maguire, the media coverage was all about it. The, the win was all about Lincoln City. And it was all about 14 players, not just the 11 that started, but 14 players, including the subs that came on, that had a game plan. And isn't it amusing that apparently we don't have a plan B, but we've gone to Sunderland, who came at us, and we've condensed the pitch, and we've won the game. Um, but, yeah, anyway, we don't have a Plan B, Michael. Don't know uh, what he's doing. It was it was a tactical masterclass, and it was it was a good coach and a, a a backroom staff that understand football and what was needed to win a game, giving instructions to players who played with confidence and carried out those instructions to the letter. Uh, and I'll come on to Maguire in a minute. Um, but, as I did a I did a morning dog walk video and I said it, it it was the collective it was the entire collective and you talk about uh Ted Bishop at right back I've already mentioned who who I think has been superb at right back considering he's also played left wing yeah that that blows my mind there's versatility, and then there's playing at exact opposite ends of the pitch you unless you're the goalkeeper playing center forward can you get any more opposite than right back and left wing people will probably say no because you're playing on the flank and if, but anyway, those people can do one. Um, (laughs) Pete will come up with something, Pete, or Pete, I know he'll listen to it, and he'll go, yeah, well, whatever, because he, he said one of my tweets was drivel the other day before getting into an argument with Liam Scully, which amused me. <laughs> I did see that, that was Yeah, uh, I, I stayed silent, because I, I just saw him put drivel, and I thought, ah, Pete's had a beer, <laughs> <laughs> I know what's coming now, somebody's going to fall out with him, uh, because I've seen it since we were 17, uh, but anyway, um, love you, Pete, obviously. Yeah it it was the full team and, and you know credit to the midfield I've been critical of Fiorini for being lightweight he was absolutely brilliant he was absolutely superb some of the passes he played by the way against Oxford certainly for the scully goal mm-hmm. um as funnily enough Pete and I were saying earlier in a conversation he wouldn't have played that 5 games ago because he wouldn't have had the confidence to play that and he wouldn't have had the run of scully to pick out um so you know, revelation uh but Max Sanders as well you know largely the forgotten man But actually, Michael has a habit of people seem to be the forgotten men and then they suddenly come from nowhere and they're in the first team. Cohen Bramwell is another example of that. You and I were talking two, three weeks ago, basically Mm -hmm. saying, after the Cheltenham game, I think, basically saying, could be the end of Cohen. Now, Mm -hmm. he's suddenly our first choice left back. uh, Funny, football is just, you know, I know, funny old game they say. but you know, it doesn't get you know, it doesn't get any funnier does it, than a former player going back to the club that turfed him out six months ago after put I mean he spent six six months I think in the reserves. He was turning out for the under twenty threes with the kids, Lee Johnson, and him clearly did not get on. And you know, I'll watch that moment. <laughs> I'll watch that moment over and over again. First of all, hats off to Hagde Hakeebadelican, H- H- another yep. player who in the last four or five games has been superb. No matter what the ratings on the Stacey West say, why people are giving him lower ratings than some of the other players, I do not know because he's been very, very good. Um, that finish from Maguire. Oh, I mean, just technique. put it into my veins. Just wonderful. <laughs> I pleased you said your veins and not your bottom. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, wonderful finish. And it's just the way that he kind of puts his hands up and then it's something goes in his head that says... John go, down and give, yeah, go and give it to Johnson and he's like oh yeah Jesus and off he goes it's like he wakes up like oh no it's Sunderland sorry lads no wait Lee Johnson's over there I'm going to give it to him uh, and, and there's one or two Imps fans that have messaged me and kind of said privately and I won't say who they are they didn't particularly like it because it wasn't a Lincoln City thing it was a Chris McGuire thing it's gone viral we can laugh and joke about it he was already on a booking Yeah, let's not forget that and I saw Junior Imps fans of a certain vintage, yourself included, may remember Junior Gogo being sent off uh, against Lincoln about 2005, maybe scored mm-hmm. against us, ran across to the Lincoln bench, made a gesture, red card. Yep. Stupid, stupid. Jason Shackle sent off, I think, after scoring or after we conceded, wasn't it? But again, already on a booking, and we conceded a goal, and he's done. He's reacted in some way. Could have been foolish shouldn't have been on the pitch after his tackle.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause I, I know that there's, you know, the conversation that we've just had about referees, there's currently a very big conversation from what I understand going on in the, in the uh, Northeast about the standard of referees because Maguire was allowed to stay on the pitch. Now, when going. I, when I saw it, I thought bloody hell, that's a, that's a strong tackle. That's, you know, it's a bit late. Um, I, I, I think he was probably quite lucky to stay on the field, wasn't he?
2: Yep. And it's another example of a referee trying not to make a rod for his own back. And bear in mind, you know, he booked, what, seven Lincoln players. I mean, we went there and we we matched them. Physically, yeah. we went there and we were very, very tough. It was in terms of the com- com- combativeness of the Lincoln side, uh, if that's a word, it was more reminiscent of, of some of the Danny Cowley Lincoln cities um than it was Michael's Lincoln City that don't when I say don't tend to be as physical, go back to the Portsmouth game. We were bullied and out for all game. Mm. Rotherham battered us in the second half, they was just bigger and stronger. This mm. is a you know, now we suddenly look as if we're we're up for it. And there's two ways to fight and I want to see us fight fair. And I, I'm not sure Chris Chris McGuire's tackle was. I think the ones that people are calling Conor McGrandall's to be punished for are Hard challenges and and you know, ooh, a little bit naughty, but but Maguire's was beyond that. That that happens against us, and uh, I'd be unhappy if you know if we play Cheltenham in a couple of weeks' time and Dan and Lundlew puts that challenge in and goes on to score a hat trick. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's the second hat trick, second league hat trick in a row where the player that scored it. Shouldn't have been on the field because Brennan Johnson should have been sent off against MK Dons last season. Booked and then did a petulant challenge and Bobby Madley kept him on the field, if you remember. Mm. So, again, you want to have a conversation about the standard of referees. Yeah, there's been one or two soft penalties against us. Um, and, and the penalty, by the way, that Sunderland got isn't a penalty. No, Sanders um, took the ball. He did. But, again, as of uh, credit peak because we had the conversation... When you come in from behind, whether you take the ball or not, you're almost giving the referee a decision to make. Yeah, I think and I think you can see why the referee gave it from the position he was in. Yeah, I I think any other player on the field doesn't make that tackle. And they probably do the right thing, even if Sunderland go on and score, because it's a tackle where if if you do get it wrong or even if you get it right it can be punished as it was I think Max Sanders pulls out of that tackle as the player that has you know struggled to get into the side and and all that sort of thing if he pulls out of it I think that it reflects badly on him so actually you know he's won the ball everybody kind of goes well it shouldn't have been a penalty but a, a more experienced player doesn't make the challenge purely and simply because he knows even if he wins the ball, it's from behind and the referee's probably, especially having given a penalty at the other end and with 28,000 fans there, you know, he's probably going to give it even if it's doubtful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Max has done what I think Max had to do. He had to put every single tackle in, him more than anybody, um, mm-hmm. to, to prove his value. And, and you know, there's an argument that the penalty, the goal shouldn't have stood because did Josh have it under control? well that was my first reaction because i thought he's got his hand on it
0: like does that count as him having it under control but then when you you watch it back i think he was trying to roll it towards him so does that count oh. as i don't know but
2: i'm watching it back again now so first of all it's a good save yeah he is do you know what he flicks it doesn't he and he flicks it straight back into ross stewart's path yeah if he i, I that's the first time i've watched it back because i don't watch back Chances that link against Lincoln. You know, why would I? <laughs> um, so he does just try and flick it back. So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, uh, I, mean,
0: Magor- I was going to say, Magor- let's just talk about the second and third goals for a minute. Because, I mean, we said about Whittaker's movement and how he made it look effortless on on Saturday. He took Doyle out of the game with a single touch, like leading to that second goal. just Leading could- to the penalty? So Yeah, leading to the penalty, sorry, yeah. Just nutmegged them and played a really good ball like yes, admittedly there was an error um from the defender I think it was a gooch that was covering that that went to tackle and missed it.
2: Or yeah, possibly. I'd, I, I'd have to have a look. I'd have to find it. I don't Off the top of my head, do you know what? I got lost a little bit in some of the excitement, <laughs> if I'm honest. But like, I mean, again, really, really good play. Lovely ball through. And
0: I don't think there's any doubt that that one was a penalty.
2: No, none whatsoever. It was a penalty. It is what it is.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, the third goal, again, attempt at a volley i guess outside the box and you know you said about hakeem being a lot better over the past four games i think this was an example to me of you know we say him about him being confident and you know lewis Fiorini potentially not playing that pass yeah i think that's another perfect example of that with hakeem because it was a really really clever pass almost a reverse ball straight down you know to um to the space where maguire was running into and he bust a lung get into that and uh yeah really clever finish i I genuinely thought he'd taken a touch too many as he got the ball on the edge of the box um with the defender closing him down but just managed to you know get his foot to it and and essentially i think i saw the bbc article said it looped over the keeper and i thought it's not not necessarily a, a lob but you know it was a a really really nice finish and uh...
2: was was a super pass between the two players. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I thought he'd taken it, but it, it yeah, it was a lob for me. It was a chipped finish. It was a lobbed finish, mm. and then he stood right in that corner, really near the Sunderland fans. God, they weren't happy. <laughs> they weren't happy. <laughs> but no, fair play to Hakeem Yeah, it was it was superb. And I think in my match report, I um, incorrectly attributed it to Walker. Walker Whittaker. I was going to say. Yeah, I think I incorrectly attru- uh, attributed it to Whitaker, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a nice way to round it off. And, and one of the defining moments of this season came in between those two goals, in between their their penalty and our third, and that was Regan Paul clearing off the line. I was going to say, yeah, you're going to mention that. If Paul Lee, if if that ball goes in, it's two two. They probably go on and win the game. Mm. And that could be a big moment. And somebody said, my mate Galva I sit with said to me on Saturday, most important 45 minutes of the season were the Oxford game at halftime. You know, massive, important time. Probably that now today is the most important block of the season because we've taken six points from two games Mm. that nobody expected us to get. If we'd recorded a podcast last week, we didn't. And and it wasn't because we didn't want to. It was timing of New Year and everything. But if we had my analysis would have been take a point from these two games I'll be delighted and we'll go on and we'll try and beat Cambridge. Instead mm-hmm. we've got six points there's five points between us and the bottom uh, four I don't have, there's 15 between us on the playoffs Yeah, and that, that's not a joke you look up if, if, that, if that Lincoln City team that we've got has got to still go to places like Ipswich and Rotherham and, and teams that have got to come on and attack us Charlton are going to have to when we go to the Valley there's no reason why we can't aim for that kind of top of the bottom half bottom of the top half finish which is is where I predicted more or less all season that we've been going to finish
0: yeah I I just think it's been it's been the reset I think that we may have needed Um, you know it it might not have come at the time that anybody wanted it and obviously the fact is that you know the the start to the season has not been great but I think the Almost like the renewed, the renewed optimism. I think has been really, really promising to watch. Um, and it, I think even the people that were pessimistic about it or were, you know, quite vocal about it, have seen the performances in those two games and come away going, you know, what there is actually a lot of fight in this team. There is actually a lot of, you know, a lot of effort being put in at the moment. And I think that more than anything else. And you, you say about that that block from Paul, I think it almost looked a little bit like we were potentially going to do what we did against MK Dons for, for five minutes or so where Sunderland came back into the game and they really, you know, when the, after they'd scored the penalty, it it, it looked like we were potentially going to lose our heads for five minutes and, and let them back in. But they, you know, they kept it, they kept the call and they did really well. And I just think that, yeah, that, that block from Paul. And then obviously a couple of minutes later, you know, uh, Maguire wraps it up. I just think that was that was the key moment for me, was that just that five minutes where we needed to just calm it down. And, you yeah, know, Paul gets that block
2: in and, yeah, really, really impressive stuff. And hopefully yeah. can carry it on. And and Paul's block was the Lewis Fiorini moment for MK Dons. Yes. But, but Fiorini missed the chance despite having... A relatively good game mm. um so yeah it's look it, it's promising it's it's one week it's two wins I keep you know not urging caution just because um people are saying i was getting too carried away with celebrating a win or celebrate a win i think we've seen more like more of what lincoln are capable of not what yeah. You know, i don't think november and some of October were a fair reflection mm. of what this squad is capable of, and you, you go. We go back to the top of the conversation where you said, "Yeah, oh, if only we'd had Morgan Whitaker uh, yeah. from the from the start of the season." Yeah, fair play. If only we'd have Anthony Scully fit um, yeah. for you know, for the last couple of months, because we, we would have. I, don't, I, I say it without a, a shadow of a doubt, we would have beaten Accrington Stanley mm-hmm. had we had Scully and Hopper playing. And I know it's ifs and buts, but we would have beaten Doncaster Rovers had we had Scully and Hopper playing. And that's not because they're particularly... I mean, Scully is prolific this season, but it's not because they're a particularly like that. They're not a 60-goal-a-season strike partnership or anything. It's just having a front three. And yeah. had we not lost those games or had we not drawn at Doncaster and lost to Accrington and, and maybe you know throw Hartleypool in the FA Cup in there, you've got a little bit of confidence and, and if you're two nil up at home against MK Dons and you're a confident side, you don't concede three goals. Yeah. Um Cheltenham, you know, if you're two one up away and you're a confident side, you do what we did against uh Especially we scored in the last minute, but you do what we did against Sunderland. You defend the lead and you defend it tough. You do what we did against Burton when we had a bit more confidence. Mm -hmm. I know it's ifs and buts, but you take those games and we're talking about two points from four games where I believe that realistically it could be 12 points. That's 10 points. All of a sudden, it's actually 15 points between you and the bottom five or bottom four and only five points between you and the top six. And that's just over a four game period. So. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm not getting carried away. There is a long long way to go. I'm not just going to say this because, you know I, I want to be pessimistic or because I want to go against the grain, but I genuinely think this weekend's game against Cambridge is is very very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I think they're going to come here happy for a point and we'll we'll touch on that at the end of the podcast, but yeah, we just it's just we're just in a better place. We're in a better place, and and you think one win is a difference now between us being where we are now and in thirteenth, and everybody above us has got games in hand. So we win our one game in hand, we're then thirteenth, um, on on thirty one points. And there's a there's a kind of a mini league, I would say Portsmouth down. So Portsmouth in eighth are on thirty seven, which is nine points for us, and then obviously your your top seven are on forty three, which is fifteen points. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. I think it's. Um, I think it's. It. Yeah. You're right. It, it is a key game. Um, do we want to briefly go over the the ending kerfuffle? Um, uh, at Not really. Okay. Not really. I don't. Uh,
2: you can do if you, you. can do if you want. No. Uh, yeah, it was a red card. Yeah. I like to see the player. I like to see Conor McGrandles. Do that. Yeah. I like Stewart. I've been critical of Conor McGrandall's. He's been excellent. We haven't mentioned him in the last sort of 10 minutes or the last half hour, or whatever we've been on there for. Been brilliant. And that's what you want to see. That's what you want your senior players to do. Where was that when we were playing P- Portsmouth? And you know, people look to be shrugging and you know, people around me say the body language is wrong. There's no body language wrong there. was the yeah. players. And there's, a, there's another telling thing. I think it's one of our subs. Look at the, one of the images of Chris Maguire going up to Lee Johnson after the first goal. He's sort of pissing himself, laughing at Sort of in the background. I think it's Jamie Robson, but I might be wrong. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it we've just scored. But you know what? There's a togetherness in this squad. People say that there isn't. There's splits in the dressing room, all of that. It's all bollocks. It's mm. all bollocks. Bad results spread fear. And that fear manifests itself in different ways. And I'm not one that's going to be saying that, that the Michael Appleton, you know, I, I didn't go straight on social media and go, where are you now, Michael Appleton, out brigade, and all that sort of thing. And by the way, Jess Appleton's treat, tweet was quality. Yep. Um, but, you know, people are entitled to an opinion. And just because we've won two in a row, I'm not going to say your opinion was wrong. I believe their opinion was wrong. And I think a lot of people do. But at the same time, they're entitled to that respect to the people that came out and said, yeah, maybe we would jump the gun, but you never know. Uh, look, a se- season's 46 games. And just as much as we were saying, you, you know, you've got to kind of have some perspective when things are going badly, you've got to have some perspective when things are going mm. relatively well. If we've yeah. got in the next five or six games, another you know, 12, 15 points, happy days, happy yeah. days. Absolutely.
0: So, um, so yeah, looking ahead to Saturday, uh fresh off their FA Cup moment, um Cambridge come into the bank, will they bring in the optimism and the bounce that we would potentially expect to see from that. I mean, we've been there before, but it's uh, it's going to be a well, it's probably not going to be as straightforward as the 5-1 earlier in on earlier on in the season, is it?
2: Well, you wouldn't have thought so because the five-one earlier in the season, Cambridge did what I have a huge amount of respect for, even though it didn't get them the result, and they, you know, they didn't shut up shop at home for a draw. They try and play good football. So uh, interesting there that you mentioned the bounce. Of course, um, after we beat Guiseley in the FA Cup in 2016-17, the next game was a draw. After we beat Altrincham in the FA Cup, the next game was a draw. Uh, okay, after we beat Oldham, to be fair, yes, we then went on and beat Tranmere. Um, after we beat Ipswich, we lost to Barrow just a week later, three uh, 0 And around the Arsenal game, which uh, around obviously the Burnley game. Um, after that, there was draws against York and shot, Not immediately after, but not long after, we won one at North Ferriby on convincing. After we lost five 0 to Arsenal, we lost two of the next. Oh, we lost three the next three games, albeit one of them the FA Trophy semi-final that was a draw. So it can actually be a case of after the Lord Mayor's show. I don't think that it's necessarily a, a great thing for Cambridge. Um, I mean, it is that they, you know, oh, sounds stupid. I don't mean that it's not a great thing. I'd, I just don't particularly think that a big FA Cup win is has the sort of impact that you would imagine on the league form. Got a lot. I've got a massive, massive amount of respect for Cambridge United mm-hmm. because I think that they have done some good things this season. You know, they, they weren't expected to do well. They came out of League Two. They lost their leading scorer in uh Paul Mullen. Everybody's favourites for relegation. And yeah, I think when we did the Stacey West prediction, I think almost everybody had them in the bottom two. Mm. I don't think anybody tipped them to stay up. But you know, by that they should be well adrift at the moment. Uh, and they beat Portsmouth in the Papa John's Trophy, they've drawn I think with, with, also drawn with Portsmouth recently in the league, they've got quite hard to beat, I think they're going to come to Sinclair Bank and play you know, quite a tight game um, I think it was that, I can't remember who the lad was, the the ginger lad for them that got absolutely destroyed by uh, not ginger I think it was George Williams um, got absolutely destroyed by, by Scully and um, I, I again that was a one-off. Mm. I don't know, it's O'Neill, I think, got the story about Scully, but it was a, it was a one-off. Um, I think I think it's gonna be an interesting game. I think Mark Bonner is a very good coach. I think the way that he's adapted to League One deserves a huge amount of respect. I think on paper it's a game that you've beat Sunderland and Oxford and everyone goes, this is the one we should win. Rewind these podcasts back to when it was Shrewsbury coming to Sintelbank, and everyone was saying we were going to win it. And I asked, he uttered a word of caution. I think might be wrong. Was that not the week after? Is um, that the game after we beat Wigan? Did yes. we record the podcast so and we beat and Wigan, and everyone was saying? um, I'm pretty sure it was. Everyone was saying our oh, Shrewsbury should be a game. We win. I think we'd gone and got four points from two away games: Wednesday and Wigan. And I said. Beware Shrewsbury, just because mm-hmm. it looks like it's a game we should win, a draw would be a would be a typical result, and I think it was a draw. Wouldn't surprise me if we don't get the same outcome on Saturday. Mm. No, and, I, 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 go on. And do you know what's what's massive is they're not a team where you look at them and you'll go, you go he's a good player he's a good player he's a good player they're a functional team Wes Hulan is a very very good player for them I'm not going to I'm not going to take that away and they've got some others they've got uh, the boy Duncan Midfield I think he's quite a decent player up front Joe Ironside is doing very well for them they have Shiloh Tracy who I really like he was at Shrewsbury last season I think he scored against us in the EFL trophy if I remember correctly he was a Spurs youngster who, who moved to Cambridge in the summer like him as well although I think he's been in and out of the team I don't think he He starts a lot of games for them. I might be incorrect with that. He might have begun to play um, a few times. Uh, So, no, he didn't. He hasn't played, actually, since December. So, there you go, Gary. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Uh, There you go. That probably typifies everything that the player that I thought was a big danger isn't getting in their side. Functional, hard-working. They'll be in and around the bottom four by the end of the season, purely and simply because of the natural order of things, I think. But I don't think they'll go down now. And I think they've got everything that's needed to pick up a point against us.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I can't really disagree too much. But as I say, that you know, I think they'll probably have the, the five one in the back of their minds as well. And, and you know, be trying or yeah. thinking at
2: least to potentially make amends for that. Um, what I will yeah. say is in terms of XG, I love XG. <laughs> love XG. Really? Yeah, yeah. oh, I've never known. against Rotherham, 0.45 against Rotherham, 0.65 against Portsmouth, 0.75 against Portsmouth in the Papa John's trophy. The last time that they had anything above one was back in um, at the beginning of December when they uh, beat Charlton. Uh, oh, sorry. When they played Charlton, they lost that game two nil. Um, they yeah, they're not massive on creating chances. They're not massive on possession. Portsmouth forty four percent, thirty seven percent. Rotherham forty seven percent, forty two against Charlton, forty against Cheltenham, and that was a game, by the way, that they won five nil. So. so they're not going to want possession. They're going to want to invite us on. The one thing that may go in our favour, that's a bit different to the Shrewsbury game, is that they only play four at the back, so they're not going to come with the, the three at the back and the wide player. So there may be opportunities for us to to kind of penetrate there. But you know, when you think they conceded one against Portsmouth in the FA Trophy, before that, the last goals that they conceded were, were the 11th of um, uh, 11th of December against Charlton. Um, before that, you know, they beat let's say they beat Cheltenham 5-0 with 2.0 XG, beat Walsall 2-0 in the Papa John's trophy. I mean, they're just, you know, they've been a fairly solid um, since the middle of November. Played three games in November where they conceded nine goals in three games. And since then, I think they've conceded three, two against Sunderland there. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so,
0: four. yeah I mean, you know, it, it might be a it might be an interesting one. I mean, I think that's probably a, a spot to to wrap up on, on Cambridge. Um, other things that we that we need to talk about. Um, obviously, last week, uh, Archie Mayer and Dan Lundaloo went back to their parent clubs. Listening to Michael talking about it, um, I think he sort of said that you know, particularly with regard to Dan, it was it was our choice rather than his parent club's choice to, to go back. And I can't really say that that's much of a surprise, is it? Uh, he's, he, he didn't really hit the levels that anybody expected of him here.
2: I hadn't seen that from Michael. Obviously, I'd seen the official line that says uh, that he'd been recalled by his parent club. So I, had, I hadn't I had seen that Michael suggested that. But um yeah, interesting. Interesting. I, yeah, Dan has just been disappointing. I think I, th- I don't think it helped that he turned up and, and was injured early doors. I don't think it helped that we tried to then rush him back for the Man United game, which we had to play early, and he got another injury there. So I certainly found it hard. Uh, we, we saw what he could do. He was very good against Wigan. Uh, he's very good against Burton, if I remember as well. He put a decent shift in there, but mm. it's just inconsistent. I, some people messaged me and said that I, they, I should add him to the list of worst Lincoln City signings ever for the, the vote that's going on on the site at the moment. Uh, that'd be harsh. Mm. That'd be harsh. He he was a, a flop here. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think... It's make or break time for him. If he doesn't succeed at Cheltenham, I think you find him probably playing National League football in the next five years.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, it's harsh to say, you know, that he's failed, but he's not lived up to the expectation. I think is probably a nicer way of putting it. Um, I think people saying that he's, you know, a bad player, it, uh, you don't get a contract at a Premier League side by being a bad player. You know, he he wasn't necessarily the fit for us at Lincoln. We thought he might be, and ultimately it's it's proved not to be the case. So, you know, I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish him ill or anything like that. You know, I think, I hope he goes on to have a decent career and I hope he doesn't necessarily score against us when he comes up to the bank later on in the season. As long as you
2: don't get a hat-trick and <laughs> run off into Michael Appleton's face because I don't think Michael Appleton would stand there and take it like Streaky Johnson did.
0: No, that's fair. Um, but I did have to chuckle because somebody told me on Saturday that um, before the game, uh, Dan Lundlew was 8-1 to to score for Lincoln City on Saturday, which I thought was uh, yeah quite an interesting uh, choice of odds. Um, but obviously... You know, with with him going out, um, it's meant that Liam Cullen can come in. And again, Michael sort of alluded to it on Tuesday night after the game. He was in a very good mood. Rob said to him, uh, "You know, reports linking you with with Liam Cullen." He just went, "Yep. Yeah, well, if he's not in the door on on Thursday, then I'd be disappointed." And sure enough, it's Thursday as we record, and he was announced a couple of hours ago. So. I've, I, well, you know, as with most people that are young lads that come in on loan, I don't think we've seen too much of him. Um, but, I mean, your thoughts on on, uh, on Liam Cullen, Gaz?
2: So to say too much. I'm not going to get overly carried away by a player I haven't seen a huge amount of. Mm-hmm. I think I've been guilty of thinking that Callum Morton coming in was going to be a good signing and he wasn't. How he's got a loan move, by the way, to Peterborough today, I do not know. <laughs> I, saw that. I just, you know, he's... he's got one of the best agents in football last night. Who was the other kid that had a great agent? He was Lincoln. He was awful. And he just kept turning up everywhere. John Nolan's agent's a decent one as well. But yeah. Um, Ali Dyer. Yeah. Well, no, he, that was just him, wasn't <laughs> it? That was just him. No, there was a Lincoln flag. I can't remember who it is. He kept turning up everywhere. And he kept going, how's he got that gig? How's he got that gig? I mean, Luke Waterfall's agent as well, getting him shoes Fair play to him. like. But anyway. Um, yeah, so... Look, the noises coming out about Liam Cullen are very positive. Um what Michael says echoes what Danny Cowley was saying at Portsmouth about, you know, he will score goals, he can hold the ball up well, he works hard. There's a few Swansea players, Swansea fans rather, who have been saying when Morgan joined us that, you know, I wish it had been Leighton Cullen. Why have we why have you let Whitaker go? And now we've got Cullen as well. So um I mean he's played championship football, his goals and assists record is not he's not brilliant, but then at the same time, can't always judge a striker on that and i know people will say that's ridiculous but look at tom hopper he's the best defensive forward out there and you know chris brown on the under the podcast under the um under the Kosh podcast often jokes about how he was the best defensive forward going and his goals for eight ratio was rubbish and you know it's a joke that is funny because there's an element of realism in it that's what tom hopper is it's tom hopper is probably he has more headers cleared um, headed clearances in the defensive box than he has efforts on goal in the attacking box. Does that make him a bad striker? Well, we finished in the top six or the top of whatever of the, of league one last season. And he popped up with the goals in the playoffs when it mattered. So I don't buy it that if you, if your if striker doesn't score 25 goals a season, he's a flop. It's how he fits into a team and where that team then finishes. So yeah, I'll judge Liam Cullen on his performances um, as we did Dan on Underloo, as we have just done Dan on Underloo, and as we do Callum Morton, but he looks to be a very good signing, and look, it's an attacker, and that's what we've needed. So, wonder where it leaves Freddie Draper. <clears throat> mm. Well, I mean, I think I think the thing is, you,
0: you can't necessarily say, right, we've got, what, it depends if you're counting Chris Maguire as, as a striker, but if you are looking at, you know, at the moment, obviously with Tom out, we've got one number nine now. Yeah. So, well, two actually, if you, you know, obviously you can count in Freddie Draper, but you've, you've got two number nines. So that gives you that option. You know, it's not necessarily going to be the situation that we were in earlier on in the season where we, we have one player that needs to be relied on. And then obviously waiting for Draper to get fit. But, it, it's the options that it allows us off the bench, I think, which is probably the thing that we've been lacking most in this season, um, particularly on Tuesday night. You know, I saw some comments from Sunderland fans saying that they should have called the game off with the COVID cases, but we showed up there with, you know, literally the bare minimum that we could we could muster because that was all we had. But um, I think it's it's not necessarily about, you know, casting Freddie aside or, or putting him in, you know, putting him back down to the, the youth team, but he will still be in and around the squad. He'll still be on the bench, but it's the option that he gives us there. Um, and I think the fact that we have that available to us now is, is a big, definitely a big plus from, from where we were, you know, last week or two weeks ago.
2: Yeah, I think Freddie needs some some game time. And well, I think if he's not going to get it, because at the minute <clears throat> we talk about the bench, So you've got to pick a front three from, and he may go, he may not, Anthony Scully, Mm -hmm. Akiba Delican, Chris Maguire, Morgan um, Whitaker, Liam Cullen. Ted Bishop, potentially, because let's face it, if one of the centre-backs, we do get one of the centre-backs back and he plays and then Aoma shuffles back to right-back, Ted Bishop, is he going to play at the head of the midfield? He might do, but then that would leave Fiorini out. So you'll potentially, you look at Ted Bishop maybe on the left, I don't know. The numbers are then suddenly beginning to add up. And I wonder if you know, you've got Ocean, Ocean Gallagher, who's been in and around the team as well, already on the bench. You've got Sorensen's on the bench. So the bench is beginning to fill up a little bit when we get these players back from COVID and a couple of the injured players back. And remember that Tom Hopper's been working on the gravity machine. There was talk about the end of February potentially. You've got Joe Walsh potentially the end of this month. So the bench begins to fill up if freddie draper is the prospect that we believe he is and that michael and the the coaching team absolutely believe he is he is i think that a sensible thing for him is a loan spell to the national league to get him games um but with an immediate recall so that it with a you know like a 24 hour or 48 hour recall so that if york city would actually be a good place for him Again I had a conversation earlier I, I, I said Gainsborough I think was too low I think if you send him to Gainsborough you know league below National League north for me I'm not sure you know I'm not sure that's the right level York potentially because Remy's there um, but ideally national League uh, but yeah. I, I genuinely believe it would really benefit him if he's not going to be playing but who knows you know he might still be around the first team but I don't think you bring in the likes of Liam Cullum and leave him on the bench. Um, to play a academy graduate that happened with Dan and Lundlow, and I think that was a little embarrassing for Dan. Uh, I don't think we're going to do the same with him.
0: No, no, fair shout. I, I, I think it's um, <clears throat> as I say for me, it's it's more the the, the fact that we now have options available, whereas yeah, you know, not, yeah. two three weeks ago we, we simply didn't. So, um, but I think that's about
2: everything, is it? Yeah, I think so. I just, I, I just think it's been nice to be positive, hasn't it? And, and we're talking about new signings, and you know, it's, I, it sounds like there's still more to come in. Um, I mean, there was an article done. What's the transfer update? So more signings on the way. Permanent moves possible. I know that's that's kind of a criticism sometimes. Um, so we're still awaiting West Brom's decision, aren't we? But it looks unlikely that he's going to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have to bring in a centre half. I mean, Max Melbourne came back from Stevenage. He brings the numbers up. I'm not, yeah, you know, I'm not entirely convinced about Max.
0: You
2: know, mm. We were two and a lot when we made the change for him to come on, and yeah, you know, he didn't have a bad game when he came on against Sunderland. Absolutely not. He put himself about, but I do, yeah, you know, I don't think that he's an adequate left centre half in League One at the moment. Um, He's just come from Stevenage's reserves. He's good for numbers, but if he is really on his way out of the club... You don't want to be relying on him for the next five or six games just in case the the, the centre the, the defenders don't come back. So, you could see us wanting to sign a defender. There's talk about assigning a midfielder, I'm not convinced we need to. Uh, if you've got Fiorini, you've got Ted Bishop, you've got Conor McGrandles, you've got Max Sanders, you've got Las Sorensen, it'd be a bit of a slap in the face for any of those if we go out and try and sign a replacement now for Liam Bridcott as well. Mm. Um, And apparently uh, Michael has also said that uh, despite the arrival of Whitaker and Colin, he still wants to strengthen his attacking options with at least one more forward uh, and possibly more if Scully moves on. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously there was in the
0: the conversation before, or I think it was the New Year's podcast um, that Hope and Glory did where they were talking about, um, you know, potential incomings and stuff like that. Michael did obviously mention that uh, he expects there to be at least one out, um, or you know he would he would expect there to be one out. So yeah,
2: but that's, not necess- that's not necessarily a player sold, is it? It could be a no. I, mean, player I suppose yeah, I suppose probably you know
0: player out on loan or whatever. But it's um, yeah, I think you know obviously he wants to he wants to strengthen where he can, and I think having gone through this much of the season where we've not had the options up front, I think. Bringing in, you know, probably one more, one more there, because um, I think what was it that we said before? They, they wanted a seven and nine and an eleven, and we've, you know, we've got, we've got the seven, we've got the nine, we've probably got the 11 to come in, and then we've obviously got the um, the defender to come in, you know, for cover now. So,
2: if we bring a defender in for cover, well, if we do, I, I yeah, I, I, think, um, I think if Scully goes, and uh, people, people are kind of, kind of losing their Shit over it. And do you know what? Transfer window annoys me a lot of the time because people come up with like such and such is leaving as if it's, well, that's it then. Do you know what I mean? I, it was after the Blackpool game and it, it, the everyone's going, well, Taylor Eddin's saying goodbye. That's the last you've seen of him. If it is, it is. That's football. Players are always going to leave. If you're mm. going to start doing that kind of, oh, he's going, then every time a transfer window comes, you're just going to be an unhappy person. At the end of the day, Anthony Scully is a very good footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, I have at times think thought that people rate him higher than perhaps the level he's at. I think he makes things happen. I think he creates space. I think he's a very clever footballer. I think he's somebody that's done very well this season, and he's scored goals ever since he's came come into the side. Uh, but at the same time, if, if a championship club comes in and they've got £750,000, they want to sign Anthony Scully, you take it. Yeah. And, and that's nothing to do with people go, oh, well, well, you a selling club. That's nothing to do with the model, and I, you know, I don't subscribe to that the model anymore. It's what Peterborough have done year on year, ever mm. since the days of Big Keith, when they brought in Mikhail Smith and Aaron McLean and George Boyd. They've brought players in, they've developed them, and they've sold them. It's not a lack of ambition. It's not because you're a selling club. It's not because you don't want to go up. It's because what you do is you get 750,000 for Anthony Scully and then you reinvest that like half a million on potentially half a million. But but let's say maybe you. Tyler Walker for half a million pounds from Coventry so you reinvest that five hundred thousand pounds and he then comes in scores goals for your moves on for a million or some people I don't know if it's true or not some people have said that there might be an option to buy Morgan Whitaker at the end of the loan spell for half a million I've seen it in tweets I don't know how accurate it is I'm not mm. saying that I know that so you sell Anthony Scully for 750,000 at the end of the season you buy Morgan Whitaker. do you know what I mean yeah it, you build on it. If 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 Anthony Scully goes this season, Anthony Scully goes this season. Great player. Love him to pieces. Lovely lad. Absolutely lovely lad. Messaged me a couple of times about where to eat in the Lincoln over restaurants that I'd recommended. Really nice, down-to-earth guy. Live behind me at Cambourne. Great guy. Mm. If he goes, he goes. That's football. That's yeah. football. And it ain't the end of the world. And it, it doesn't mean relegation.
0: No, absolutely not. So... Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's, well, I think it's probably a good spot to wrap up for the week, isn't it? Obviously, the fans forums tonight um, as we recorded and I think it's eight minutes away. um, We can't bring you any news from that because we don't know because it's not happened yet. So um, there won't be. Well, no, there
2: won't be any news unless they've held a player back to announce. But I don't think that they will have done.
0: No. Um, well, you've, have you had a press release yet? Is the question.
2: Well, no. The they when they announced, they announced the player. Uh, oh, they did it on Match Day Live, didn't they? Regan Paul on Match Day Live, and I don't think that went out to press until like five minutes before it was due to happen. Right. Okay. Um, but no, I, I I haven't had that, and even if I had, if you're listening to this, you'd already know about it anyway. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, cool. cue, cue uh an announcement at the fans forum. So. Yeah. No. We'll that, see. For those that are now interested, meatballs for dinner. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so. there we go. Although they haven't been they're not cooking yet because Fee hasn't got back from Aldi and I know this because Charlie hasn't done his guest spot. <laughs> you, you know what amazing. you could do? You could you could start cooking them yourself, Gary. I cooked last night. So I can't stop cooking I can't start cooking them myself because Fee's picking up some of the stuff that's needed to do the meatballs so what am i gonna do cook half a dinner and then when she comes in go well that's my half done it will go cold now chop chop yeah do it no that's not me but it was it was quite amusing just sorry going off three years ago yesterday so january the uh, 12th was charlie's arrival day i never thought i'd be that guy uh, but i am (laughs) Um, so it was Charlie's arrival day so it's the day we got him and halfway down the first day that I've got Charlie and I'm sat on the sofa with him Dan Rawson uh, I hope you still listen Dan lovely lad Dan uh, loads of time for him in uh, you ought to get Charlie on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah that's an idea isn't it never a true <laughs> word spoken in jest. oh dear
0: but uh, oh well right so that is going to do us uh, for the week Hopefully, you know, people will have enjoyed it a bit more and uh, felt hopefully been a bit more positive than uh, than usual listening to it. Because I know some people say that they're a bit down on it, but they, they enjoy the positive spin that we put on things, for want of a better phrase. Hopefully everyone's in the same boat this week.
2: And uh, yeah, we'll oh, see you. Just remember, if you're in a room and there's music playing. And there's a trestle table with nibbles on it. And people are drinking. It's <laughs> probably a party. Up the Imps. Up oh, the Imps.
1: It's
2: the 90th minute. And all your mates around watching the Imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.